0: Remember your childhood Christmases? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you remember the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog? These kids don't know anything about that. <laughs> Sears and Roebuck, yeah, that one too. I hear that one came in handy more than one way. <laughs> if you don't get that, we'll have to explain it to you later. Can't do it from here. <laughs> I couldn't wait till that special catalog arrived in the mail. I remember my sisters and I would call dibs on who got to look at it first, of course I was third born, but when I finally got to look at it, I would skip all the boring stuff at the beginning, you know, like clothes and furniture and bedding, and I'd go straight towards the back of that catalog, that's where the good stuff was, that's where the toys were pictured and described, and I would go over and over that toy section and with each pass my hopes would grow bigger and bigger. You know, I could imagine myself racing cars around that awesome electric racetrack, flying that remote control airplane, shooting that Red Rider BB gun, playing that cool guitar and many other things I could imagine. I didn't realize it then, but I was exercising the power of hope. My simple, childish, even selfish hopes were a motivating force for me, especially at Christmas time. How many of you are aware that hope is a powerful force? Christmas time still does that to me. It still enlivens hope in my heart, but in a different way. I believe a more responsible and hopefully less self-centered way. See, I've lived quite a few years, Since those days, the J.C. Penney catalog, and like you, I've endured some unexpected challenges, some heartaches and loss, some trials and difficulties. Basically, I've learned that not everything in this life is like a J.C. Penney catalog. You don't get everything you want in this life. Life doesn't always go the way you want it to or expect it to. This earthly existence is fraught with loss, and sorrow, and need, and heartache, and pain. But it's also filled with love, and joy, and peace, and great hope, if, big if, you're a true follower and believer in Jesus Christ. You see, he is the great hope giver. That's what Paul said as he introduced his letter to Timothy. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he described Jesus as Savior and Lord and Christ. And then he puts a comma. And then what does he say? Our hope. Our hope is Christ. Folks, our hope is not this life. It's not anything in the JCPenney catalog. It's not even your spouse or your children. It's not your church. It's not your job. It's not your income. Our hope as followers of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ himself. And if it's in anything else, yes, you have every right to be depressed. But if it's in Christ, you have no right to be without joy without peace, without hope. A man by the name of Dennis McGowan served five mission trips to Haiti. Here's what he writes about his experiences there. He said the believers in Haiti are not optimistic about their future. They are not optimistic, but neither are they pessimistic. Strangely, they were some of the most hopeful, happy people I've ever met. These are people who make under $1 a day, just enough to barely survive. The money is meager, but they simply do not have opportunity to make more, but yet they're generous. They give their time and their labor and their food and their appreciation and their love. McGowan says about 40 of the locals helped them finish building a mission church building there. And while they were helping... They were not working at their jobs earning money. And yet they worked side by side with the mission team for 10 days. Why? They had no reason to be optimistic. They were not optimistic that their children's lives would be easier than their lives. They were not optimistic that their children would receive medical treatment if they fell ill. They were not optimistic that they would always have enough food on their table. How could they volunteer their time knowing that? the bleakness of their situation. McGowan asked one of them, why are you working with us instead of working in the fields to earn some money and to help support your family? The man replied, because it's my church and because he's my Lord and Savior. These, he says, were some of the most hopeful people I've ever met. Because they placed all their hope in Jesus, and Jesus had not disappointed them. No, the Haitians are not optimistic, but they have an incredible hope, a hope placed in Christ. You see, all may not go well for you in this life, but if you have Christ, you have the greatest hope that there is. The Bible says in Hebrews six nineteen that Jesus Christ, our hope, he said this hope is sure and steadfast and serves as the anchor of our soul. Christmas time can be a very difficult time of the year for many because of the loss and the trials that, that we've endured. But for a Christian, we must realize that all our eggs are not in this earthly basket. We have a hope, and this hope anchors us to reality and eternity in Jesus Christ. So the key to redeeming the celebrations of Christmas and enjoying it as a happy, hopeful time in the midst of sorrow and pain and heartache and loss lies in how we anticipate a new day. Two people who don't show up until eight days after the birth of Christ demonstrate for us in the midst of sorrow and heartache. These were two broken people, but who had great hope. And they demonstrate for us how to celebrate Christmas with joyful anticipation. So I want to turn your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And I want us to stand together as we read verses 25 through 38. The story, the true account of a man by the name of Simeon and a lady, a widow by the name of Anna. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. How many of you have had a sword pierce your soul? Many of you have. Many of you have, have had a sword of sorrow and loss and, grief and difficulty and challenge pierce your soul. That's what Simeon was predicting for Mary. And can you imagine at the foot of the cross as she watched her son die, can you imagine that sword piercing her heart? You see, the Christmas story is not all cookies and cream. There's some sorrow involved, but in the midst of that, there's joy. He said in verse 36, we read of Anna. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow. That means, of course, you know her husband passed away. Many of you have encountered that. She was about 84 years of age who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for Redemption in Jerusalem. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, please speak to us from this passage. Lord, over the course of the next four weeks, that, Lord, our hope might not only be secure because you secure it, but, Lord, it might be truly realized in our lives. And that we might enjoy this season no matter what we're going through or what we've been through or what might be coming around the bend. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus, our hope. Amen. I want you to notice with me over the next four weeks ways that Simeon and Anna demonstrated joyful hope of Christ's first coming. But I want us to consider it in the light of Christ's second coming. That is our hope. First of all, and this is the only thing we're going to look at today, the first Thing I want you to see is they were convinced of a promise. Absolutely, positively, thoroughly convinced of a promise. The Bible tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that means that he was the, the he was waiting on the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied from the Old Testament. You see, one of the traditional Jewish prayers was. May I see the consolation of Israel. Meaning, may I see the the comfort, the one who will bring comfort to Israel. Israel's still, unfortunately, looking for their comforter. But he's already come. And many of them have missed it. Many of you, perhaps, today, many in this world today are still looking for their comforter, their, their hope, their peace. But they're looking at it in all the wrong places. But he's already come. Jesus. It is said that Anna, in the scripture we just read, spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The word waiting that Simeon did and the word looked for that Anna did is the exact same word in the original language of the New Testament. And it means that they awaited Christ's coming with confident expectation. You see, when I looked at the J.C. catalog and, and I looked at those toys that I wanted, I could only hope with doubt that I could get one of those or some of those toys. It was a doubtful hope. Oh, I hope I could get that. I might write a letter to Santa Claus or I might ask my parents, drop hints or whatever, and then I would just hope, but there would be some doubtful hope there. But hope in the Bible has no hint of doubt in it whatsoever. It's very akin to faith. For he puts it, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope are twin sisters, if you will. Hope is a confident expectation that what was promised will be delivered. Not doubtful, I'm not sure it will. It might be, I don't know. That's not hope. That's the world's definition of hope. Hope in the scripture was a confident expectation. They had no doubt. You know the Old Testament includes about 60 different prophecies with more than 300 references to the coming of Christ. It was through the fulfillment of these prophecies that Israel was told that she would be able to recognize the Messiah when he came. Most Jews in that time were quite familiar with these Messianic prophecies and Simeon and Anna were no exception. It had even been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the promised Messiah. Anna was a prophetess. That is, she studied the Old Testament prophets, and God revealed things to her. And she, more than any woman perhaps of her day, was convinced of the Messiah's imminent coming, that is, in her lifetime. Let me open the doors of the past and list for you in a very quick list. And if you're taking notes, you just want to write the references down, do so because I'm not going to read the scriptures. I'm just going to reference them. I want to open the door of the past and look at where Christmas started. It started in the heart of God as he began to reveal it to man, even in the opening chapters of the Bible. From the very first book of the Bible, we hear one of the prophecies, he would be born of the seed of a woman. In Genesis chapter 12, we read a second prophecy, he would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis 49, we're told that he would be born from the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah 9, 7, a fourth prophecy appears. He would be heir to the throne of David. In Micah 5, 2, we learn he would be born in a little town called Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, 14, we learn that he would be born of a woman who had never known a man. She would be a virgin. The seventh prophecy we learn about was that his birth would trigger the slaughter of many children. From Jeremiah 31, we read that. And then the eighth prophecy I will refer to is that he would Hosea tells us that he would come from Egypt. Now that's eight, just eight prophecies that I've given you. There are many more. But in his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner applies the modern science of probability. You may have heard this before. The probability of just eight prophecies concerning Christ. He says the chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's 100 quadrillion. That's 17 zeros. A 1 followed by 17 zeros. 100 quadrillion. Stoner suggests that we take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover the state of Texas two feet deep. You take one of those silver dollars and you mark it with an X. And you stir the whole mass thoroughly. Then you blindfold a man and you tell him to walk across the state and stop at any point he chooses. But at that point that he stops, he bends over and he picks up any coin he chooses. And that one coin that he chooses has the X on it. The probability of that happening is the same probability of one person fulfilling all eight of those prophecies I just gave you. You see, God doesn't work according to probabilities. He works according to His divine plan. And these prophecies were foretold. And it was God's wisdom. It was God's plan. Christmas was not an accident. God Himself becoming man was the plan of the ages. It was in the mind of God from the beginning. It was God's plan to send Christ into the world foretelling of his birth to his people created hope because they were a troubled people. And as they studied the prophecies and as they got to know them, their hopes began to rise and swell. This conviction of the promised Messiah was what Simeon and Anna held their hearts in eager anticipation of that blessed day when he would be born. And just as his birth was promised, so Christ's return is promised with even greater prophetic magnitude. David Jeremiah writes this in his new book on the nativity. He says, references to the second coming of Christ outnumber references to his first coming eight to one scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to Christ's second coming. In the Old Testament, Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 books, and the New Testament authors speak of it in 23 of the New Testament's 27 books. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament mention his second coming. That's one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament speaking of Christ's return. The fact that Christ's second coming features so prominently in Scripture is an indication that this event is important to God, that it's surely coming, and that it should be important to us, and we should surely be expecting it. For Christmas to be meaningful to us today, listen, our celebrations I want you to listen to this close. If Christmas is to be meaningful to us today, our celebrations cannot just center around His birth. While we still commemorate and celebrate it, we are no longer waiting for the birth of the Messiah. He's already been born. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose again, and He's coming back any moment. Christmas is a reminder that Christ is coming again, and it creates in us all those prophecies Eight to one of the number of prophecies of his first birth, of his birth, the number of prophecies of his second coming, eight, more, eight times more. It, as the hope it created in the, in the first century for those uh, early uh, followers of Scripture, it should magnify. Our hope should be magnified eight times over. But we don't see that in this culture. We don't even see it among Christians. We see hopelessness and doom and sorrow and gloom. Why? Christ is coming again. All our eggs aren't in this basket. But so many Christians put all their eggs right here in this basket. And when their eggs get cracked and broken, they lose their hope and their joy. Our Christmas celebrations look back to the manger. Indeed, but they must look forward to his future reign when he comes back to earth again. He's not coming as a baby again. He's coming as king. You want to read about it? It's in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation. He's coming back as conqueror, as king. Every Christmas should remind us to look forward to the second coming of Christ. Look at 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Looking for. There's that word again. It's the same word that Anna was doing, that Simeon was doing, we are to do. Looking for and hastening. That is, hurry up. You remember on Christmas season when you were a kid? Remember that. As you would thumb through that, Sears, Roebuck, or J.C. Penney catalog. You were joyfully anticipating. You couldn't wait. It can't get here soon enough. That's how we're to look at the coming of Christ. Looking forward to. Hastening. Hurry up, Jesus. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I can't wait for it to get here. Are you living like that? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That means that what we're living in right now won't exist, this fleeting. He says, nevertheless, we according to his promise. You see, Simeon and Anna were convinced of a promise. We need to be convinced of a promise. We look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Aren't you ready for an earth where righteousness reigns? I'm sick and tired of living in a world where unrighteousness reigns. You can't walk 10 feet down the street without seeing it flaunted in your face or turn on the television and switch channels without being flaunted in your face. You can't listen to people talk on the job site without the unrighteousness coming out. I'm ready for a world where righteousness dwells. That will be when Jesus Christ comes back. All my eggs aren't in this basket. Hope all yours aren't in this basket. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward, there it is, to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Luke tells us Simeon was waiting. Anna was looking for. That's what we're supposed to do. Like a child anticipating the dawn of Christmas morning and the promise of presents to unwrap, we should live in eager anticipation of the promise of his return. Are you convinced of that promise? If so, it produces hope. And I want to show you briefly some things that hope will produce in you this Christmas. If you'll have this hope, if you'll be assured of this promise, and if you'll lift your eyes and look to this promise, don't, don't keep a lateral, horizontal view. Christians, we're called to lift up our heads and look. For our redemption drawing near. If you'll do that, I want to show you quickly four things that will happen First of all, it will produce in you patience and endurance. How many of you need patience and endurance? I need patience and endurance. We see in the book of Hebrews that great hall of faith chapter. Verse 24 through 27, we read about Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court, but he was a Hebrew It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose affliction over pleasure because he saw pleasure was passing, the pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? What does it say? For he looked. To the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is faithful. You see, if you will hope in his return, it gives you patient endurance down here. That no matter what you're going through, you may feel like you're being raised in Pharaoh's household, you're working for a tyrant, or maybe you think you live with one, or maybe you think your life is. Is, is constant affliction. But if you will remember hope of his promised return, what you have in Christ, it gives you patient endurance. Look, if you will, at James 5, 7 and 8. We're reminded, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Just as the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain, you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand and then Romans 8 is one of those blessed scripture verses and I want to read it again from the New Living Translation uh, as it kind of puts it in more plain English yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. How many of you are groaning this morning? We groan, don't we? Under the burdens and the cares and the troubles of this life. We've grown, Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we will wait patiently and confidently. You see, when we hope for it, we look forward to it, it produces patience endurance to live this life a number of years ago researchers performed an experiment to see the effect that hope had on those who were undergoing hardship two sets of laboratory rats were placed in separate tubs of water the researchers left one set in the water and found that within one hour all of the rats had drowned The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Because they were given hope. These animals somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little longer, someone would reach down and rescue them. Hold on just a little longer. Hope produces patient endurance. It also produces rejoicing. We don't walk around, this isn't hope. Eeyore. Brian, you got an Eeyore out there on your lawn? No, Brian did all the. That's Winnie the Pooh. That's not Peanuts, is it? Yeah, sorry. Wrong cartoon. I had an Eeyore when I was a kid, a stuffed Eeyore. I don't know why mom and dad gave me an Eeyore. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh was a lot happier guy. But Eeyore, y'all know Eeyore? Everywhere he went, what followed him? A rain cloud. That's the way some Christians walk around. There's a rain cloud over them all the time. That's not patient endurance. Don't walk around under a rain cloud. Patient endurance and hope produces rejoicing. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly, what? Rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been, what? Grieved by various trials. How can those two words be in the same sentence? That don't make sense, does it? Unless you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be grieved by trials, but you can rejoice at the same time. Amen? In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, That is, don't let your mind run away with you to the worst case scenario. Gird them up, be sober, rest your hope fully (coughs) upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing. If you place your hope in this world and in this life, you won't have hope. If If you place your hope in heaven and in Jesus Christ who's coming back, you will have hope and you will have rejoicing. And thirdly, here's something it does for us. All of us struggle with sin, do we not? All of us struggle with temptation, do we not? Every one of us here. Is there anybody here today that wasn't tempted this week? Anybody? Anybody wasn't tempted to sin this week? Anybody here today did not sin this week? Anybody here wish they had a little more resistance power? You know what hope will do for you? It gives you some more resistance power. That's what the Bible says. 1 John 3, verse 3. It says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope creates more resistance power. Hey, if I know Jesus is coming back any time now, I don't want to be caught doing it. I want to be pure and clean before the Savior when he arrives. It produces resistance power, purity of life when I have this hope. But hey, if all your eggs are in this basket, in this world, you don't think anything about Christ coming back, you're going to live like you want to live. Do what you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good, you're going to do it. You don't care about what Christ thinks or how Christ is going to respond when he shows up and catches you. You're not even thinking about that. That's not even on your radar. But it produces purity when your hope is in His coming again. That's how Simeon and Anna lived. It says Simeon was a pure man. He was a just man. He was a devout man. Why? Because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting on the Messiah, and it produced in him produced in him this this desire for holiness and righteousness when Christ comes back. I can tell by the way some people live; they don't have any clue. They don't have Christ's coming back is not on their radar they don't mind worshiping christ at christmas at this little bitty baby because you you don't give answer to a little bitty baby but he's not coming back as a little bitty baby he's coming back as a reigning king a righteous judge and you can tell by the way a person is living whether they're worshiping a little bitty baby or expecting a coming king and fourthly and lastly this hope not only produces patient endurance, rejoicing and purity, but it reminds us of where we truly belong. Listen again to that great faith chapter in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 to 16. talks about those great saints of old. <clears throat> says these all died in the faith, not having received the promises on this side of heaven, but they saw them afar off. they were assured of them and embraced them and confessed, that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. You're a stranger. If the world thinks you strange, bless God, because you are. You're supposed to be. You're strange to this world because you don't think like they do, you don't do like they do. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, this is not our home. We don't belong here. Do you know that? You don't belong here. Let me let you in on a little secret. It's not a secret. It's a truth that we forget. This ain't heaven. it ain't ever going to be, no matter how hard you try to control it to make it be, this ain't heaven. You don't belong here. God made you for another place. Have you secured your reservation? The only way you can do that is by trusting Jesus Christ. Bible says, set your mind, Colossians 3, on things above, not on things on earth. See at Christmas time we're pulled to look at the JCPenney catalog. I bet if there was one, I'd probably still look at it. I might even buy me one of those electric racetracks. I haven't played with one of those things in a long time. I don't even know if they even make them anymore. I had one. I had several. Every Christmas, I wanted the bigger, better one, you know. Christmas time has a way of drawing our attention to the things of this earth. I like decorations. I like lights. I like presents. (coughs) But folks, we can't forget. It's not about what's here. It's about what's there and who's coming. To bring us there. Jesus told us to look up. Lift up your heads. Look. That is at this time of the year and and all throughout the year. We ought to be lifting up our heads and looking and, and anticipating the joyous return of our Savior. Just as Simeon Anna did his first return. Part of the Christmas depression, I think, is that many believers are focused only on the present or the past. And we fail to look to the future. When God's promises, partially fulfilled at the first Christmas, will be completed at Christ's second coming. When you become convinced of that, it will bring new wonder, new excitement, a renewed, eager anticipation to your heart at Christmas time and all year long. David Jeremiah asked this question. Why do I believe this? Then he answers it. Because everything God said would happen at Jesus' first coming happened in exacting detail. What reason would I have to doubt that what he said about his second coming would not come true? And it's not written in the J.C. Penney catalog. Written right here, the very word of God. You may cruise Amazon and Wayfair and and all those other web websites looking for gifts. Don't forget to cruise the promises of God's word about the coming Savior. If all you're doing is cruising the J.C. catalog or the modern equivalent, your hopes are going to get dashed. If you cruise the promises of God's word and place your hopes in them, your hope will be secured, and it will not disappoint. Would you bow your heads with me this?